Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. It's a bumper Monday of professional cycling at World Tour level. Uh, shook. There's no rest on the World Tour Rest Day because we have Benelux Tour, formerly Bink Bank Tour, formerly Enigo Tour, Binga Bongo Tour. It's one of the best races <laughs> to watch Bongo on the calendar. It's so exciting, um, the parkour usually, and today was no different. We also, if you're listening on podcast players, we have GP Plouet today, which is they call it GP Plouet, but Britannia Classic, same finish for the women on the Monday, somewhat curiously, which had a good field as well. So a lot to get through, and there'll be separate YouTube videos if that's where you listen. But Lacole are uh, the main supporter, the show partner of the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, and I'm here with Benji, who's come back now that Vias are on action. Um, but Benji, this first stage, you've got the parkour here. It, it looks pancake flat. It looks like an obvious sprint, but where where is this in Belgium or the Netherlands? And like, what is the prevailing conditions in this region? All I see is like lowland water areas. Well, that's a very good question because uh, I'm from Flanders, and I know a lot about Flanders. But when you start talking about the Friesland section of Netherlands, I don't have a clue where this is at. I just know that this is at the top, I think, of the Netherlands, <laughs> which is. Likely a region with a lot of wind because uh, it's uh, very northern in the Netherlands. And that's <laughs> a lot of information right there. It comes back to my region on the fourth stage, five kilometers from my home. So I will be uh, very happy to have that closer to home while I watch on the TV. So uh, that's pretty cool. Anyway, today's stage, like you said, pancake flat, but echelons in the region. And it was said for a week now that stuff is going to happen on this first stage. So everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. But we didn't see it because uh, the people who do the coverage apparently didn't know that it was going to happen because they decided to cover it very late. every year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so sad because that's the most interesting part of this stage, really, how the echelons form. And we start the coverage with a breakaway of six, seven riders that are about to be caught by the first echelon. That includes the likes of an Evenepoel, a Sagan, a Tom Dumoulin, but also sprinters like of a hard Gaviria, for example. Medellin was in that group. And yeah, stuff had already happened. There were people behind. There were some people behind that were important for GC. We'll try and take a look at who lost time today, perhaps after the stage. But uh, a solid gap in between, 1 minute 30. And it would become very dramatic when we saw Evenepoel standing by the side of the road without any real action happening beforehand and we saw him complaining a lot at his front wheel and like ahead of his bike so probably to a rider that caused something to him and there was a wheel change necessary and this was by far the longest wheel change i've seen in my (laughs) life neutral service car so uh basically the not the team car that is doing it for him so that obviously says a lot and one minute 23 seconds is how i calculated it but I did it based on uh, just looking at the time <laughs> stamps. Wait, on one the... minute 20? One minute 20 plus. Mate, don't you're going to reignite the disc V rim brake debate all over again. Because obviously with a rim brake bike, you just pull the front wheel out and you hold it as they run to you with the front wheel and slot it in and there's compatibility. So I've just started the debate myself. Um, <laughs> <right there. laughs> the but, thing there yeah. is like, it's, it started off with the dude in the car coming to Remco with a back wheel. And it's a front wheel that he needs to replace because <laughs> the spokes on his front wheel are basically out. So he's coming to a back wheel. He's got that 
little machine to take out the wheel and first of all it doesn't really work then he tries it from another angle then from another angle by the time he figures out how that thing works in that front wheel well it's already like 45 seconds past and at that point he has to run back to the car to get a front wheel instead of a back wheel (laughs) and yeah Remco's complaining and complaining because obviously it's not really uh supposed to be like this that it takes that long and if it takes 20 seconds he might be able to catch on but now he is uh, basically thrown into the second group because of it and uh it's sad for Remco's uh GC here certainly that he was aiming for but they uh were not waiting with too many rides I think Merku was waiting for him from the front group but three riders in the front group with Hodge, Osgren and so forth so if the Koenig has Osgren at the front they're not gonna wait on Remco exactly. I would expect. It's another it's a second GC threat here for Benelux Tour I mean other GC threats already uh out of a out of the picture already Benji like Dumoulin wasn't in G1 was he I thought maybe he could go okay here. He is in good shape. Grant Thomas, like that's the beauty of this race. It's like UAE to a stage one or Parini stage two in 2020. I love it when the echelons just throw the GC. But is he out yet? Who? Evitable. No, no, he's still fine. He's still fine. I'm talking talking the guys who still haven't finished yet. Um, Oh, okay. (laughs) Like they were in G4 or whatever. Even if Paul, I don't think he knows that Asgren's their GC guy after today. I I don't think so either. And I think they're probably going to take on Asgren as a defensive role from this point onwards and perhaps even if more an offensive solo rider to try and take time back on the rougher stages and... Yeah, I don't see uh, Evenepoel riding for Osgren here unless it becomes absolutely necessary to take the victory with Osgren. Anyway, we'll move forward. I think Peter Sagan also had an issue or crashed, and he was similarly frustrated. Yeah. Benji hasn't mentioned it already. And we have the Golden Kilometer. Remind people, Benji, what the go- Golden Kilometer is. Uh, it's an English how- word. It's not supposed to be difficult for you. <laughs> no, it's G-O-U-D-E-N in Flemish. Golden Kilometer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's hard for me as well because we say H instead of G when we see a G in West Flemish because we're also pretty uh, wrong in everything. <laughs> but hey, Golden Kilometer, one kilometer with three uh, sprints in it, one at zero meters in the kilometer, 500 meters, and then at the finish line as well. Well, at the finish line, I mean at the end of the one kilometer, so three and one kilometer. And uh, I think it's three to one in the seconds that the riders gain when passing every single one of those sprints. So you'd expect people to start attacking for those sprints. And we had people doing so. I think for the first uh, one, we had Berger making an initial move. I think he took the first one and Turnison came second on that one. So Turnison taking two points, uh, two seconds at least for GC. Kind of surprised that Berger is going for GC, probably because Sagan crashed as well, that he ended up playing in that role. But after that, we had the second one, the second uh, bonus sprint. And we had Turnison once again trying to get there. But Mohoric was sprinting to his wheel and actually kicked him over on the line. And not literally, but figuratively for the seconds. And Mohoric takes the three seconds, Turnison the two seconds. And the final sprint came. And that's where the best sprint of them all came. Colbrelli flies past <laughs> everybody with ultimate power. And then out of nowhere, God Sprinter, Tish Benot. Gets over him and out sprints Colbrelli for the, for the intermediate Bruh. bonus seconds. <laughs> you know, Colbrelli, I don't think we touched on too much. You know, he had his team pretty much ride for him on every Tour de France flat front sprint stage and he like, only <laughs> came top 10. Like, yeah, anyway, uh, we'll move on. I mean, Wait, it's, he, not he even actually, done with Colbrelli. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I At the end of the street, he rode to much. the wrong side. 
<laughs> well, I kind of blame Belgian race organizers. Yeah, that's guys, kind of uh, true. Driven course and Brussels Cycling Classics, arrows pointing everywhere, roundabouts. But yeah, Paul Colbert. I mean, in his defense, he actually did a very nice job. I thought pacing yeah. for Morich. Morich going for GC, obviously, here in this group. Asgren as well, but they got even a Paul behind. Oh, so quick step. Yeah, and then he had to switch. So it was like pacing to stop G2 coming yeah, and then true. the Bauhaus lead out. So double duties for him and Bauhaus obviously on magnificent form. Who else do we have quick in this group? Benji, Hodge, Gavidia. Gavidia. Hodge. Uh, some other people as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, I think Steven was doing a lead out for Peterson as well in this group. And Bobble was there. The rider that is supposed to be the lead out on paper for uh, Bennett next season. Walshide was here, but although... Uh, I don't really count him as the fastest sprinter here as well, but also Tim Merlier, who has uh, arguably the fastest sprint of them all on a flat sprint based on the results of the last year and a half at least. So we're going into the sprint. It's yeah, pretty much the status quo. There's the Lucas Perselberger last kilometer, last 1,500-meter attack. We knew it was coming because he didn't have an Ackerman in the group nor a GC Sharkman in the group. So he's like, why not? Actually stays there, but he gets brought back. Um, he was so strong in the Dauphiné, Lucas Perschelberger. And I think G2, I mean, we still don't have time caps. Something weird is going on with the results, by the way, for this race. FYI, we sort of had to manually time it all. But, yeah, leading out into the last 400 metres, Sturven, who probably will get picked for the Belgian World Champs team, missed timing for Mads Pedersen, who's on form, I think, in Denmark or the other day into a Denmark, and he drops him off. Very, very early with Hodge on his wheel, further behind, fighting, I think, for Hodge's wheel or fighting with Hodge's Bauhaus on the barriers on the left-hand side, and then Merlier's a bit further back. Pedersen, I was really surprised, Benji. I thought he was going to just jump early and trust his long sprint, which we've seen him do in the past, but he tries at like 300 to go back into the wheel, but he's still eating wind, and then... They come over the top of him and he never really opens it up. I think, did he have any choice at that point? Do you think he should have just opened it up and hoped he was good enough? I think he should have opened it up and hoped he was good enough because that's his memo a bit. Uh, a few times we've seen him sprint quite a long time and always surprising that it's so long. So I was expecting a long sprint, but he didn't really do that. It was Hodge that game over first, really. And I was uh, I was scared of Hodge because he's been growing his form recently as well. But it seemed like he was falling short quite quickly as well. And there was one sprinter that flew past, right? Yeah, Tim Merlier, he's, I think, the only man who's really been able to go toe-to-toe with Caleb Ewan since, I mean, Bennett beat him in UAE Tour. Since after that, Giro beat Caleb Ewan. He won a Tour de France stage. He skipped the Vuelta. He now wins the first stage of the Benelux Tour. He's looking in fantastic form. And to be honest, it was not close. He had Bauhaus in his wheel. He had other sprinters in his wheel, and they were flat out just trying to stay in that wheel and couldn't come over them. Yes, I don't want to speak about ad nauseum. He moves to the right at the end. Is it intentional? I don't know. Is it unnecessary? If it is intentional, of course, he was winning anyway. And does it endanger Bauhaus? Subjective, whatever. Benji already tweeted about it, if you want to read his thoughts there. But the question I have, Benji, is he's beating, beating Bauhaus, beating Gaviria, which, to be honest, I expect him to do. Pedersen a little bit underwhelming. Is this is Merlier on the team sheet for the Belgian World Championships and can he survive that parkour? It's a really difficult question because you got to look at it from the aspect of the national coach right now who has a lot of riders he can select from. You've got 
First of all, Vanat, who is said to be the lonely leader for the race based on all the rumors we've had so far. If that is the case, then what is the problem with having Merlier? Well, he's a sprinter and he's likely not going to be overly happy that he has to ride for people despite being an ex-teammate for Vanat. So that's perhaps the light in, at the end of the tunnel where he might be willing to ride himself away for Vanad. But I'm being attacked by a fly, okay. Anyway, um, we had Vanad as written down leader even has been winning a lot of stuff on smaller competitions people are starting to look at him as well as a co-leader because well it's quite simple if he starts winning solo right now he might be able to put fanat in a seat by attacking on on the world exactly. championships and do stuff like that merlier the problem with him is that it's kind of the same equation as philipson do you take another extra sprinter next to that i think that merlier might be doable to survive this parkour, but it's going to be a relatively close one. I think I mentioned on one of the podcasts recently that we have two races, the GP Jeff Skerens Leuven uh, and the Driven Kurzoverreiste. If you match those two together, you've got the World Championships parkour. And I think on both of them, he survived relatively well, but I'm not exactly 100% sure. So I might have to look back at that in a bit. I think he didn't ride Driven Kurz, but he did survive Jeff Skerens Leuven. Now, a driving course is the hardest one of the two. So uh, ah, it's a close one if Marnier survives the parkour. And if you have such a close fight, then you might as well put everything in the basket of Outfanad and not have him selected in my eyes. But feels bad, man. Who's the fastest sprinter in a bunch? Merlier. Who would you take? You take Merlier? Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. I think he's he's been very good. <laughs> he's been the results don't lie this year. I mean, uh, let me have Top five sprinter. I think top five is even being very conservative. Uh, this year he's won Le Semin, Grand Prix Jean-Pierre Montserrat, Brésil. <laughs> You're starting with Classic. the lowest names. <laughs> Mate, they're the biggest wins for Alpecin. <laughs> the Belgian won once. No, nah, so Le Semin's actually a good race. Um, Giro Stage 2, Ronde van Limburg, Elstead and Ronde. Elstead and Ronde actually have good – that was a good competition yeah, there. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, Tour de France Stage 3 and now Benelux Tour Stage 1. Um, We're joking with these smaller races, but this is how Alpecin consistently keeps their first spot in the Pro Continental ranking, allowing them to select their own races because they're the first in that ranking. So uh, it's genius that they sent Merlier to those races to just rack up the points left and right, you know? Well, like Elstein Ronda had Cavendish, Ackerman, Cavendish being led up by Murku, by the way. Hey, story time. And I wrote Megan. the sportive of this race. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, Three years Bruges. ago. I died, but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's interesting seeing Benelux Tour here now with the riders, a lot of them favorites for the World Championships coming up on a similar, you know, a classic-style racing. The big news, I should do the top 10. Merlier first, Bauhaus second, Hodge third, Gaviria fourth, Colombian teammates at UAE next year. Can't wait to see that with Milano and Ackerman. Pedersen fifth, a little bit disappointing, but the lead out wasn't perfect. Van Poppel sixth, Valscheid seventh, Anjol Kolsky eighth, and Mike Turnison ninth. We don't actually have a full top 10 um, or GC. It's not been released yet, so you'll have to just wait for that. But Ren Avenapol's lost, I think, a minute, a little bit over a minute, maybe 55 seconds. A minute to two minutes, roughly in between there, I think. The big news of this race, uh, before we talk about the TT tomorrow, is after the race, Avonapol goes straight over to Alperson, all the cameras on him, and he starts shouting at Yanni Al- Vermeer, the 29-year-old on Alperson Phoenix. And Benji did some translation. Was it in English or Dutch? 
thingy. It wasn't Dutch, uh, well, semi-Flemish Dutch that he was shouting at Vermeers because they're obviously both Flemish riders. Now, so Remco started shouting and it's kind of started in the middle of the conversation. So I, I don't know if I've got everything of the conversation that they were shouting at each other, but basically the gist of it was, we're just riding normally next to each other and you just come diagonally into me. No need to just run away while I'm talking to you. You should realize your mistake. And I think he added, are you laughing at me now? Come on, dude. Something like that at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, the conversation. And I like, we don't know what happened. We don't have any footage of it. We just know that his spokes of his front wheel are broken and that they're complaining against each other. Well, Remco against Vermeersch. Now, what this reminded me of was Vermeersch's history in, I think it was the Giro where Sabatini was complaining against him on one of the stages and Van Emden on one of the other stages. And I think uh, I remember something vague in 2015 as well where Merlier was uh, actually complaining against Vermeersch about something. So I think that there's becoming a bit of a habit here and it seems like he's always kind of riding away or running away at the moment when people start complaining against him after the race. Now, I don't know if he's at fault here, so let that be clear. And I don't know whether it's just Remco being very sensitive because we know he uh, is a bit like that. But uh, hey, that's what we love about cycling, the drama. I think it was great. I love to see it. I love to see people <laughs> going at each other after the race. It's definitely, especially like... There's a difference between, you know, shouting at someone like that and what are you doing? You chop my front wheel, that's fine. Uh, putting hands on each other like Marcel and Kwiatkowski, I think, didn't like that particularly. Wheel hitting like Rukosta and Parido <laughs> back in the day? <laughs> We've seen a lot, but people are going to go crazy. I think the sports are in Vilaflut's comments are popping off right now on all the articles about this. But, yeah, it's certainly no Cipollini knocking a guy out the next morning <laughs> before the world to stage. There's definitely a lot of space between them. Whether who's in the right or the wrong, we won't really know. You know, it could have just been normal riding in Vias where you – you know, guys are moving their back wheel all the time, are reacting to things, and someone moves at the front, and then there's a concertina effect, and then they move a bit more at the back, and you got to protect your front wheel, and you know, it, maybe it's just that, or maybe it was a dodgy move. We don't know. That's the drama of it. I'm expecting Evanapol to mount. Uh, he's going to go on a long range Benji. There's he's going to have a rage fueled long ranger. Um, yeah, but. Let's talk about before how much time he might be behind, particularly because tomorrow we've got an 11K TT flat as a pancake. Does he beat Askren on that? On a short time trial? Ooh, it's going to be a close one. I think he might. I would dare to say he might on the short one. On the longer one, I'd say that it's going to be closer. But then again, they're both pretty good at close longer ones as well. So I don't know, man. We'll see tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> We also have Bissiger here, who should be a very, Ooh. very good shout for tomorrow's TT to win this. Is Kung here? Yes, Jeff and Kung oh. is here as well. He missed the split. Dumoulin's here. McNulty, Thomas, Campanars, Cranderson, Affini, Björk, Sobrero. This is outrageous. <laughs> Mate, imagine Love if it. any of these were at the Vuelta for the prologue. <laughs> <laughs> it's so insane right like i'm gonna go for an outsider i'm gonna say that we'll see a top 10 from a sport vlaanderen balwaza rider rune gergots he was fourth at the balwaza belgium tour itt also 11.2 kilometers he did that ahead of semi-decent time trialists but just behind finn fisher black and 20 seconds behind david pull in lampard so i can feel it young guy coming up and he's uh he's looking good he won Paris Tour U23 ahead of Jordi Maus uh, last year and 
he's got a contract with Spod Vlander and Balois the next year, and uh, he will be on quick step <laughs> in two years. I'll bet you. A lot of Sudal. A lot of Sudal. Nah, I reckon quick step. It looks like the Balois a quick step <laughs> transition to me at 24 okay. 25. Anyway, it should be a good TT tomorrow. It's literally one of the most stacked TT fields we have this year. And uh, and then we have another three, four, five, six, seven, stage seven finishes on Gerardsberg, uh, and that's always a great stage. So the Benelux Tour has started well, and I think it's going to keep staying exciting, Benji. But, yeah, any last thoughts on the stage today? Have you seen anything else in the Belgian media to change our opinion on anything? Well, no, because I've been on the podcast since the stage ended, so it's pretty difficult for me to have seen anything. But uh, I'll be back for the Velta as well tomorrow. Uh, the memo was a lie at the start of that. <laughs> at the start of that video, just want to want to say that I love you guys, so I would never disappear for a reason like that. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it. Okay. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the recap of the Benelux Tour Stage 1. Now on to GP Plouet, which was the other World Tour race on today, which had a pretty good start list, although it reminded me of Trofeo Alfredo Binder a little bit in that it didn't have – I think Voss was at Binder, but she uh, – we had Longa Borghini as probably the five-star favourite as well as having teammate Elizabeth Diagnan. But DSM had good depth. They got Labu, Lippert, Mackay and Rivera. Rivera, I think, on this sort of finish, you do not want to go to the finish yep. with her. She's very, very fast. I think she might have even won this before uh, or second in 2019. So it's a similar finish to the men's race as well. Had the break form, Benji, and who was controlling it? And did DSM do a better job today than they have in, say, Norway or other races recently? Well, the break formed by attacking from the peloton, and that's one answer responded to. And it was including uh, Amal Yusik and also uh, Jad Will. I hope that's how I pronounce it. It's a French writer, so I'm trying it out here. Hopefully that's it. If it's not, just tell me and I'll try and do it better next time. But uh, those riders had a pretty uh, large gap for quite a bit. Two minutes, two minutes, 30. Grew quite a bit because the peloton just didn't care about chasing too early on until we had an attack with 45k to go by Julie van der Velde of uh, Jumbo Visma. And she basically created a, a chasing group with Ruth Winder, Pirone, Makai, Florce, uh, Buyak, Shackley, Smith, Muzic, Shabby, and uh, Van der Velde, obviously, because she made the attack. And, um, well, that group stayed away for a bit. But despite it looking like the peloton was easing up a bit, they ended up being relatively close to the group. And just a few attacks by New Zealand riders and so forth in the group behind. I don't know which rider it was. I just know that she wasn't from New Zealand. But the gap just ended up closing once again. And we saw at the back kind of something surprising. And that was that Van der Breggen was dropping in a, in a bit of a split in the group. And it didn't seem like she was able to close it down. And it looked like she just hadn't come back that well from her uh, resting pause after the uh, Olympics in the same way that Pogacar did yesterday, it seemed. And uh, she was being dropped now. She returned a bit later, but wasn't very useful for the rest of the race. So you might as well just count her out from this point onwards. In the breakaway, uh, Jade Will is being dropped by Amal Yusik. And that's basically the story for the breakaway as well for a bit. And then the action started happening. 24k to go. Attack. Elisa Longoborghini. And that kicks things off like crazy because... We've got DSM in a bit of a trouble situation there because Libert responds to it, 10 meters behind Elisa Lomogorghini. And Rivero responds to it as well, 10 meters behind Lippert because everybody's falling apart in the peloton. And then is the question to you, 
you're the DS of DSM, and you've got Lippert 10 meters ahead of Rivera, what are you doing? Are you letting Lippert wait, or are you trying to have Lippert catch up with ELB? It's tough because longer Borghini can go so long, but yeah. again, she's gone early. Like Trofeo Alfredo Binder, she that's a hillier parkour than here where she had a big advantage on the group behind. We saw a Ken Favelhem, she jumped too early and still almost won, but if she jumped later, she would have won. This is early again. I think with Lippert's form, I don't have much confidence that if she catches Longa Borghini on her own, she can still – like I think Longa Borghini will re-attack her and obviously maybe she'll sit on with Rivera. I think Rivera is the best shot of winning. She's yeah, she's super fast and, yeah, as I said, done well here before. I don't know, Benji. It's like I don't think it makes much sense for – if Lippert wants to close, that's fine, but Rivera needs to go back and sit in the group and just hope the group catches. There's no point her also burning herself, right? Yeah, that's true. And it felt like they both made that decision because it seemed like either the group was heating up a bit behind, but they both just fell back to the group behind then. It seemed like their tempo was just going down a bit, so I guess they made a decision to just wait it out. They had Fluchimakai, I think, not in that group that was chasing them, but the group just behind that. So perhaps if Makai was able to come back to that group, they were able to fall back to that group. They were able to chase a bit more in a format of three against ELB, who was riding solo at the front. But after that happened, it was Mavi Garcia who lit it up on one of the false flat sections while Rivero and Leopard were falling through the group a bit. And it seemed like Mavi Garcia was bridging that relatively easily. And she actually hit up with ELB just a few minutes later than that, and they were both able to catch Amal Yusik. So now three rides at the front of the race, um, and one of them being one that was in the initial breakaway. So pretty crazy ride so far. But a gap of 20 seconds, a group that is getting larger behind, and it seemed like the next hill was pretty far away. So I guess that some organization would likely end up catching them again, or did you believe in the three women group getting away? No, they always seem to get caught. It happened with Swift yesterday. Like Swift did a really good job. He bridged and he's, I'm like, he might even catch the three up front and then he still gets caught by the group behind. I think, yeah, I didn't really have much faith in them going clear. To be honest, I thought Longa Borghini was winning like the mission. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, I'm, if I'm being frank with Alfredo Binder, same feeling as that race. I was like, she's gone. They're not bringing her back and – um yeah, that's pretty much all that was left to say about this race. She wins. It would have been more than 12 by – she wins by 12 seconds, but it's a long post up and she certainly wasn't sprinting too much at the end. So uh, she wins the stage ahead of Gladys Verulst for Team Arkea, who was I – I don't think she thought she'd won. I think she was like just really stoked with her second result and I yeah. think that um, she's 24 years old. She's going to drop Lacole next year. Shout out Lacole. Um so that's a good result for her. Ahead of then, Kristen Faulkner, who's still in good form. She won that breakaway the other day in Norway. Sofia Bertizzolo, Evita Muzic, who's a good rider on FTJ. Then Eugenia Buyak, Diagnan, the teammate of Longa Borghini, was celebrating on the line. Rivera, eighth. Mulman, ninth. And Anna Henderson, strong. Usually, she's been a domestic in the classics for Yamba Visma, tenth. I think the question, ben, well, and this race, by the way, is called GP de Plouet Lorient Agglomeration Trophée. Sarah Tizit, one of the longest names. Sarah Tizit once again. So they're sponsoring so much these days. Yep. The team, they've got Sarah Tizit Challenge in the Vuelta. In and now this days. race as well. So, ooh, crap. That's uh, 
we've got a busy calendar. <laughs> <laughs> the last three days of the Vuelta, I think uh, the women's stereotypes at La Vuelta is on. So I'll also have, we'll have daily coverage of that here as well as I'll have highlight videos on my main channel. But the targets, Benji, Italy's team for world champs, I spoke about it for Benelux Tour, but they've got, is, is Cavalli's Italian, right? Yes. Cavalli, Elisa Longo Bordichini, um, Bertizolo, perhaps. Bertizolo. Balsamo, I don't know. I think after Brabant Sabel. She's going to uh, Trek, apparently, since today. Bastianelli, as well, might be in the team. They, who's the, they got, it's, a, it's a pretty good team, and I think they're yeah. going to send Elisa Longo Borghini long. I, I'm looking forward to this Longo Italian Borghini, team. Longo Borghini, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was, I walked into that one. <laughs> <laughs> Who else would you pick out of this race as someone to keep your eye on for the rest of the season, Benji? Is it a knee Fisher Black? Do you think SD works and making sure for the rest of the year they are giving opportunities to other riders other than AVDB and Volering? Because that's what it looks like to me the last few races SD works have been in. Yeah, that's true. We do know that Von der Bergen didn't seem like she was on top form today, but... I feel like in general, I'm just trying to start looking at riders who might do well in a Roubaix because we've got that coming up in, I don't know, a month and a half, roughly, two months, yep. or a month and a half, actually, a month. So uh, that's cool stuff that's coming up. And that's why I'm looking at candidates for that. And one of the riders in general in this race that once again popped up was Anna Henderson, been performing really well. I don't really know how good she will do on a Roubaix parkour, though. So not really sure there, but... Yeah, I feel like Shabby's always surprising left and right a bit. She's always uh, in moves, and She's good. I, uh, I tend to enjoy that quite a bit to see that stuff. And uh, yeah, people that might be doing well in the next couple of weeks. Well, we don't have too many races left in the season, so it's uh, a bit looking at what races we have left. But based on this race alone, Lippert seems to be in great form, but she attacked like seven to eight times in the span of five to ten kilometers, and she uh, was just not able to make it happen in the end. And that's been unfortunate for her here, but Longoborghini was the strongest. Dagnan just didn't seem like she had the, the response. Do you think that a Cordura goal, for example, could try something from far out on a Roubaix parkour? Or is that asking a bit too much? Is that To be honest, the Paris-Roubaix, I like Elise Shabby. She's looked good as a domestique. Hasn't really had that many opportunities for herself this year. She did in the classics before. I was going to say, well, I like Kristen Faulkner for sure. Like she won stage at Ladies Tour of Norway. She's coming into good form. I know what her contract situation is next year. And I was going to say, oh, but she's never ridden Paris-Roubaix or Cobbles before. How will she go? Well, this is the inaugural edition. So that kind of is on everybody. I really like the engine she showed. And that break at Tour of Norway, go and watch that. Her engine there was outstanding. And third here again, like it shows she has a little bit of punch as well. So I think her shape is very, very good. Corin Rivera as well, another American. She had, I'm not sure if, what the exact reason was, whether it was struggling to get over from America or back to Europe or whatever, but she didn't do a lot of the races for some reason that she's usually good at, like Tour of Flanders, which she's won before at the start of the year. Bad start to the year, but she's coming into good shape here. I'm going to give her a couple of moral victories at the Tour of Norway where she came second twice. That wasn't on her. She won the bunch sprint behind they just didn't manage to break particularly well. Um, so, yeah, she's a small rider. I'm not sure how she'll go on the cobbles because I don't know because I've never seen uh, seen her before. But, yeah, I think she's someone you do not want to go into the velodrome with. But that's all on 
the GP de Plouet race that was today. I think a bit disappointing that it's on the Monday when the men's is on the Sunday. I think having it on the weekend, having it on the Monday, yeah, is, is a shame. But hopefully they can maybe change it. We'll have the Women's Love Welter stage race coming up soon, which has a good start list as well. So a packed schedule of women's racing at the back end of the year in the lead into the World Championships where I'm not sure it's going to be all the Dutch women's teams way the way that some other teams are looking good like America, as I said. But that's all from us today. Give us a like down below if you're watching on YouTube or on podcast players. Give us a review on your podcast player of choice. If it's Apple, make sure to give us a rating as well. And we'll see you with the Vuelta Stage 16 coverage tomorrow. Ciao.